You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We have to talk about the offense after that game in Cleveland on Saturday night. Uh, to lessen the pain of that to a certain degree, we have one of my favorite guests, Gordon McGinnis of PFF. Gordon, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks very much for having me on. Always always a pleasure, my friend. Tell folks where they can uh, find you online or read your writing or communicate with you. Yeah, uh, so you can find me on uh, Twitter on PFF underscore Gordon. Um, I'm back doing a little bit more writing again. Um, I'm now head of content at PFF, so it's given me a little bit of time to do some writing. Um, so you'll find me occasionally there, uh, but more often than not, if I tweet, if I write anything Ravens related, I'm going to tweet it out. All right. Outstanding. Gordon, you are a Ravens fan for, for, uh, and that's perfectly fine. If you're that at PFF, you're not involved in the, in the grading system directly, right? Yeah, I've not, I've, it might be like four years since I last graded a graded an American football game, but yeah, I've been uh, a Ravens fan, I think since I was about like 14 years old. So over 20 years now. All right. Outstanding. Uh, we have to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been very good to us. Uh, guess we start with one thing that continues to loom over this team, and that's the Lamar injury. Uh, Ravens are kind of in quarterback purgatory at this point, and the additional injuries to Campbell and Peters, which which now appear like they're each going to miss at least a game based on what we've heard today from sources. I use air quotes. Um, 
it's the Lamar injury, which is going to determine the Ravens fate very clearly. Yeah. And I think, you know, anytime John Harbaugh has like a, an indication of when a player might be back, I've learned to just not listen to that. So when the report first came out of like, Oh, they think they might get him back on Christmas Eve. Immediately. My first thought was like, okay, he's not back by Christmas Eve. That's probably, probably not going to happen. Um, I think they can probably, it makes the game harder. I think they can probably get away without him this week if they get efficient play from Tyler Huntley, which we didn't get this week. Steelers game, again, is winnable, but you'd prefer to have Lamar back in that sense. If they want any chance at winning the AFC North, though, they need Lamar back week 18. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't see them going into Cincinnati and winning with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. Completely agree on the, on that analysis. Now, let's ask the more difficult question. So, you, you've heard sources, you've heard people talk about it. You see what's going on. Um, if you had to handicap this now, based on, on everything you know, I could give you three possibilities. One is that he returns in either week 16 or 17, either the 24th or the first. No, 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 second, second possibility is that he returns in week 18 against the Bengals for that game in particular. And then the third possibility is that he either returns for the playoffs or does not play at all. Does not play at all until twenty twenty three. But one of those two. Um, how would you assign probabilities to those three events based on where you sit right now? I'm going to write mine down here real quick because I've had to change them as we go here on the fly. I would say uh, probability week eighteen uh, back in the playoffs or misses the season back week 16 or 17 is the one of those that i'm i'm on the fence over i just you know and and i mean i've got no inside scoop on this at all it's just based on the way the ravens talk about injuries um right. you know they're pretty guarded it, it feels unlikely that he plays this week yeah and it, it, thoroughly optimistic i've got the same order i'd say 45 percent back chance he's back for week 18 40 he does not play again this season and that might that might be including being back for the playoffs and a 15% chance he's back one of the next two weeks. It just I, you know, He didn't practice and didn't even travel with the team this last week. It seems unlikely to me that they'll bring him back before that Week 18 game, which is really going to put a lot of strain on this team to get a win one of these next two weeks, which is effectively what they need to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And and the interesting thing as well is, is going to be the, the tough thing for them is the way the schedule breaks out. They won't know how the Bengals-Bills game goes um, until they've played. So they might only need one win to take it to week 18 for mm-hmm. an AFC North decider. Uh, they might need two wins. They might need to win both of those games to to have it um, come down to that final game. So not knowing that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult. I'd, I'd, I'd feel pretty confident about them winning this week regardless. Um, Steelers games are a toss-up. Even if Lamar plays that game, I think it's a very tough game because mm-hmm. it's a bitter rivalry you know the teams don't like each other the Steelers still have playmakers on defense so without Lamar Jackson I'd probably still favor the Steelers like they were favored in Pittsburgh um and then yeah it's it's a kind of toss-up if he's back for week 18. And obviously the other injuries to Campbell and Peter's very serious in terms of any of these matchups uh probably it's you know this is probably the best week you could you could be without Peter's against the Falcons with a rookie quarterback there but uh, you know, really would fear, even though the quarter, the Steelers quarterbacks have not been good, uh, not having Peters for Week 17 when the Steelers have more receiving options, and and the Ravens are very very short on cornerbacks. Yeah, it, the, and how short the Ravens are 
at cornerback, particularly guys who I think can be good outside cornerbacks, um, would make me pretty nervous just based on you know, George Pickens already looks like a really good second round pick for the Steelers. Deontay Johnson's very good. So they've got enough talent that you you know you're not just covering one guy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this game we'll talk about now getting back to Cleveland. A big game, obviously, for the Ravens' run game. They totally had their way uh, with Cleveland. Uh, Huntley, on the other hand, absolutely terrible. And, you know, obviously a lot of the vitriol directed this week is at the run-pass ratio uh, and, and, uh, and how that played out, given how obviously effective they were running the ball and how obviously ineffective they were throwing it. Yeah, and like I think looking back at that game, I definitely think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more early down runs. Um, I think they probably, I don't want to say they definitely got away from it too early. That drive that began with 10 minutes to go in the game, I understand why they went away from it there because at that point you need two scores. Mm -hmm. If you run the ball effectively for a touchdown, there's probably five minutes left for me. Yeah. So, so your your margin for error is so small. And the Ravens are a team that, you know, they, they're always looking for what's the margin for error and all those things. Um, I, I do think, though, it, this, this is kind of any time there's a game that the Ravens lose that, you know, it's a somewhat close game. That immediately is the thing that people go to. Like, oh, they, you know, and look at this. Look at how, how many times they pass the ball. And so often in those cases, if you look into it, the reason why the pass numbers wound up being higher is because, okay, they're down, you know, 10 minutes to go and they're chasing the game. Right. So at that point, you know, it, that that's what does. But I, I do think, you know, if they came out of that game with maybe five more running back handoffs than they did, it probably would have been a, a more balanced game. I still don't think they would have won though. Yeah. And I'm completely with you. And by the way, every point you made there was right on the money in terms of they, they, the only game where they really passed a lot more than they needed to, I thought was the Tampa Bay game where they were passing the whole first half. And, you know, they came out after the game. That was the strategy. You know, I I, I don't know, but it, they were very effective running the football in the second half. And they put the game away pretty easily. So maybe I, I go ahead and believe that as, <laughs> as stated there. Uh, it seemed, you know, the, the nice thing about it was the consistency player to player of talking about how, yeah, that was a strategy. We we're going to pass the whole first half. And everybody was, you know, on the same page. It wasn't just the coaches talking about it, you know, on Tuesday after the game. And there's this reflective, uh, uh, reforming of a narrative kind of thing this this seemed to be handled consistently but in this game I, i'm completely in agreement with you and I, I i talked with a guest last night on the on the defense show and i'm like with 10 minutes remaining let's say you have this choice that the ravens are going to have a six minute drive and they're going to get have a 50 percent chance for a field goal and a 50 percent chance for a touchdown because i don't think you could get a lot more sure of anything than that so you're going to get an expectation maybe of five points would you have wanted that with 10 minutes to go or, or is that like, no, I, I, we got to throw the ball. We got to move a little quicker than that. Yeah. Like obviously hindsight says, okay, they threw the ball and it wasn't successful, but mm-hmm. in that moment, you know, I, I just don't think, I don't think if they run the ball at the end of the game from 10 minutes to go, I don't think they, they get closer to winning than, you know, maybe they get it within a touchdown, but mm-hmm. they probably don't get the ball enough times to, to go and score and win the game. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you entirely. That uh, Greg Roman, obviously, you know, it, it's it. There are a lot of things getting worse about the Greg Roman situation right now. Uh, the the some of the video from uh, well, two players, Tyus Bowser outside the complex finding signs or whatever. And I haven't really looked into this to any degree. Have you seen it? 
No, I do, well, I saw the I saw the original thing, which was like a screen grab of it was outside the facility and it said fire Greg Roman or something. That that was all I saw of it. I didn't see any study into it or anything like that. All right. So that's bad. First of all, probably somebody should have a little bit of a talk with Tyus Bowser about posting that to his Instagram. Like that's just it's just not a good thing to do to your to your organization. And you know, if you're if you're upset about it. I think the furthest you can really go is what Zeitler did, but it's also not good. And he's saying, I think if we, we said, I think we should score more than three points when we run the ball for 200 yards and they ran for 198 close enough. Uh, so the, in this context, in the, you know, the storm we're in, of course, that's directed as a, as a Greg Roman comment, which he probably meant it that way, uh, but he might not have, if, you know, clarity is, is key in this kind of situation. Yeah, that, I, that's the way I read it as well. I think it's quite likely, but unless you know, you know, you can't say for definite. And I guarantee you, if you asked for clarity now on Monday, it would very much be no, no. We just need to execute better, and that's what I meant by that. Yeah. And that's you know, that's why these things immediately after games, and it's always after frustrating losses because players like fans get frustrated and angry, and and all of those things. Um, they, these are just that's just kind of what happens at those points. Yeah, very natural, and and uh, you know we we talked about it a little bit on the on the defensive show, but they went basically zero for five on their fourth down opportunities in this game, and that was more than the difference in the game. You know, they went zero for three, and the Browns went two for two. When I say zero for five, they lost all of them. And in terms of the risk reward relationship, the Ravens actually took the least risky of the fourth and one plays in my estimation. You know, but if you look at Ben Baldwin, Bot had a better payoff on that fourth and one relative to the range of outcomes that the Ben Baldwin. Now the other part side of that is that they probably were nowhere near the Ben Baldwin bot percentages in, in either of two ways. One is their expected chance to make the, make the first down with Huntley in there. Maybe they were just a little bit worse with, you know, Ricard running the football. It's a good play design. It's a good play choice. And number two was that if they had gotten the first down with a two yard play, What's their chance then to poke the ball into the end zone on three more plays? I don't like it. <laughs> so. with, with the way this offense is playing just now, it's it, it's tough to, you know, it's really tough to look at that and say, it, yeah. it, this offense feels like. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst. And their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff, and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take liquid death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take liquid death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get liquid death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find liquid death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. They need chunk plays to score points. It doesn't, you know, and, and this this is the difference. This is what 
what we're seeing the most in missing Lamar Jackson is those are the types of drives that with Lamar Jackson that they go in for a touchdown because he finds the extra three, four yards every time he needs it and stuff like that. But this is the type of game whereby or without Lamar Jackson, someone else has to come up with those chunk plays. And this is where at running back just now, I think it's pretty interesting because Gus Edwards, really strong running back. Not not a you know, not gonna break off many 40, 50 yard runs. Mm-hmm. J.K. Dobbins clearly has the ability to get into that open space, but he just doesn't have that second First. or third gear yet. He just it's not back yet. We saw it in the long run last week and then the long run this week. Those are both touchdowns if he's fully healthy. Um, you know, and if they can get that back, which I don't know how quickly that's going to come back for him, that again gives them a lot of opportunity for big plays in the ground. Um, without that and without Lamar in there, it's hard to see how many big plays in terms of like 30, 40 yard plays that they can find in the running game. And they're certainly right. not finding it in the passing game. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they'd have to find something. And the guy to me that really has to step up in the situation and be a bigger part of the offense is probably Deshaun Jackson. If you want big plays, I mean, he's the one that, uh, you know, they got way down the field on with the, uh, with the Jacksonville game. So uh, anyway, I, 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 they don't have a lot of big play options. It's absolutely true. Could also, I guess, Isaiah likely could become a bigger part in terms of of, of making some big plays. But you, you're, you're spot on in terms of the running backs, in terms of what's going on. And I, I even look at that in terms of the, what they did in this game, in terms of the yards per carry. And I say, you know, who the Browns were, certainly. But also the way they schemed up to beat the Browns in this game was done exceptionally well. You can hate Roman for a lot of reasons in terms of the, the run-pass um, ratio if you want to and say yeah an additional five runs per game was 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 possible in there but you can't live without the scheme he's brought in terms of of what he's here I you know there's talk one you know there are definitely people who are saying got to be replaced right now you know this team's going nowhere well the team is probably going nowhere with or without him that's the honest truth about this they're probably not going to make a move in the playoffs and and certainly if Lamar does not come back I think their chance of making a run in the playoffs is absolutely zero but yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I, I I wrote an article last week at PFF that basically said the Ravens aren't going to be favored in the playoffs in a, you know, Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, even Miami. There's offensive firepower there that's tough for the Ravens to keep up with. Mm-hmm. The Ravens' route to a Super Bowl this year is get in and just get lucky on the variance of defensive plays, like the the Steelers game. By rights, they, maybe they should have lost that game, but they came up with big plays by Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, those types of plays. If they get into the playoffs and they can steal some possessions, if they have Lamar Jackson, steal some possessions, they can they can beat any team. They're just, the way this team is playing, they need those plays to win. Whereas mm-hmm. the other teams, the other teams can just rely on their offense being efficient. The Ravens are going to have to find those extra plays and those extra possessions. Right. And and that means gambling on defense and and doing some things that are positive. I I think they've shown you know some better uh, ability to do that in in recent times. They've definitely got that bend bend but not break defense that you often see from from really good defenses. But is especially true of the personnel on the Ravens that you know a tighter field really favors players like Hamilton. Uh, you know in 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 terms of being a slot corner. Uh, but other things as well in terms of a pass rush that's complementary. If if the plays take a little bit longer to develop because they're down by the goal line and picks, it's more difficult for people to get open. 
then that's good for it for a you know a kind of a slow developing pass rush to create problems for for the offense at that point. So I think personnel wise, it 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 really it, it kind of makes sense for who they are. Yeah, and I think as well, like if you look at the Ravens' pressure numbers and their sack numbers relative to the rest of the league are pretty strong this year. But mm-hmm. no one would look at the Ravens' front seven and be like, oh, they've got numerous great pass rushers. Like Justin Houston's the best one, and he's been good. He's you know a good sack rate, but he's still older and still not the dominant type of player he was. Odafi Owe you know, is very, very inconsistent at this point in time. So they're they're scheming up that pressure based on blitzes and also you know coverage being able to to hold things and make things a bit more difficult yeah for for sure that some good pick plays in there but also they've got a this team has a lot of good primary pressure that doesn't end in sacks which ends up in somebody else's sack where they're they're not a bunch of aaron donald sacks they're not a bunch of tj watt one-man sacks that are developing on the ravens it's all it's all the product of two or three you know a couple of players that are that are getting it done at least it uh there have been very few the, look back at this game, the Hamilton sack, which of course is a scheme sack too, which came off the slot, but but is was a one man sack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it's just not who they have the personnel for now, and it's. I, I think I definitely think in the draft you can see that. I think they're trying to find that balance. The Oway pick, draft no Jabo in this past draft here, like they're trying to find guys that okay, if we can get a guy who we know we can get pressure anyway, but if we could get a guy who can go and win more consistently one on one and create a lot of pressure on his own, then that can take the defense to, to another level. Okay, let's flip the coin here for a second and say, if you need to make an argument for Roman being replaced right now, what would it be? The only thing I would say is, and this is something that is based on not knowing what the internal dynamic is, but the stuff we're seeing with Ty Bowser, the stuff with Kevin Zeitler's comment, if that is what we think it probably is, and it's a lot of turmoil within the team of being frustrated, then John Harbaugh can get some buy-in from the players of saying like, okay, we're going with T-Martin the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And the offense doesn't even have to change that much because sometimes you just have to make it seem like you're having a change and all of a sudden everyone gets that bit of a lift and they feel better about these things. And the Ravens won a Super Bowl in 2012 with a, a very late season yep. um, coordinator change. So, you know, that that's the argument there is like, okay, we go and make this change and we can give a little bit of a boost and, you know, a little boost can go a long way in the NFL. So twice they've actually made the choice during the season. One in 2006, they got rid of Fossil at midseason who was doing the calls and Billick just took it over at that point, which was fine. And the, and yeah, that team was obviously very good. They lost their playoff game, but I don't know that you can really... You know, anyway, they, they, that was where they were in the, the 2012 team. It was just magic going through the Super Bowl with Flacco playing so well. I, I think if I had to point to a good reason to do it, I, I don't think that there would be too much different about the run scheme. Although, you know, the layering of scheme week to week has been pretty good from Roman. I think that the, the thing Martin could probably continue with some of that. And I don't think he can fix the passing game. I think you would get a, a kind of trial run with him for 2023. So you get an interim feel forward look at T Martin. And if he's, if he's really good, boy, you bring him, you bring him on and that's great. If, if he's, if he's not, if he doesn't end up being the guy, well, he's an interim guy. We told you he's an interim guy and they go out and hire whoever they want this off season. Anyway. Uh, I do believe in trying to make that search as inclusive as possible to broadest possible set of interviewees to get the best possible person 
and not go for any particular type of hire. Although some people suggested by by hiring a uh, you know person of color like Martin that they would get a a, a draft pick compensation for it, which I didn't re- actually know that was true. But yeah, it's um, I think it's at the head coaching level uh, and at the two levels of the front office. Um, if there's a minority candidate who uh, gets picked up, you get a, a third round pick the following year and the year after that, I think it is. Because the Ravens did it through um, David Cully. Cully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, the the thing I go back to is, the, the thing I would worry about for T. Martin is if you make the switch to him just now, what's the opportunity for him to to actually make the case for himself? Because this is, the, so loads of people talk and you know people talk on Twitter all the time about how the Ravens neglected the wide receiver position and all those things. I think what the Ravens have found this offseason or this season is similar to what they found with the Ronnie Stanley problem last year is that they gambled on, okay, if this goes to the best possible way it can, we're fine on the offensive line. Same in the passing game this year. They looked at that and they said, okay, we're trading Marquise Brown. Maybe we'll get a guy, you know, there was rumours that they wanted one of the first round receivers. Maybe they'd get a guy in the second round. Um, but, you know, worst case scenario, Rashad Bateman, will we'll bring in someone else. Devin Duvernay is going to step up. James Prochet is going to step up a little bit. We've still got Mark Andrews. We bring in Isaiah Likely, all this stuff. And then what happens is Bateman gets hurt. Mark, Mark Andrews is playing pretty poorly right now because he's playing hurt. He's, you know, a shell of the player he is because of how hurt he is. And because he's the primary option, the only real option in the passing games, they're having to focus there. If you, T. T Martin, come in and run this passing game throughout the season in the playoffs, this is your this is effectively your interview for the job. Your top receivers are Demarcus Robinson, Deshaun Jackson, Devin Duvernay, forty percent of Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. Oh, and you actually don't have the starting quarterback either. It's re- it's really tough to find it up, you know, find twenty points a game that that gets that guy the job long term there. Well, I, I think you got a grade on the curve for a player like that, and I mean, think about all head coaching opportunities. They always come with a down team, right? So you're you're, you're coming in inheriting a, a, a you know usually a slag heap of a team, and and you have to try and work with that. Uh, you know, this is at least a championship caliber offensive line that T Martin would be inheriting. And at least he, you know, you'd want to make sure he didn't do anything that would mess up the quality the offensive line could deliver you. And so that's the, that's the part of the interview that's most important. Maybe that's 60% of his grade. And then, and then the rest of his grade, when you're talking about the the passing game and, and, and how he changes it, first of all, you know, does he add creativity? Does he add wrinkles? Do, 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 Do the plays, you know, succeed in, in, in some ways in terms of, of, of bringing about a desired result. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, are the, are the Ravens able to suddenly generate a bunch of chunk plays all over the place? You know, I, I don't think that opportunity is there given the personnel. I think the personnel, when you come right down to it, is the problem. And yeah, I, I think that's right. Ultimately, it is the, you know, they got the worst possible scenario from the players they fielded in the opening week of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, they didn't have room for error with this personnel. They just, they didn't have room for Bateman to miss considerable time or Andrews to get hurt um, in, in any way, shape or form. It was always going to be in a very tough spot at that point. And, you know, I think everyone held out hope of an, an Odell Beckham signing in and it doesn't even look like he realistically <laughs> is going to sign for anyone at this point in time. Um, yeah. I don't think Odell Beckham is as good as Deshaun Jackson, frankly, at this point, uh, you know, it, it's, we, we, we'll see what he could actually put on the field. 
uh, but but you know it was never in the cards for the Ravens because Odell Odell Beckham wants actual money, and the Ravens <laughs> don't want to don't want to pay at the at the receiver position. They shouldn't shouldn't pay at the wide receiver position now. But uh, uh, they they just they just need to get back to drafting them though. Top yeah. top one hundred draft picks. Give me a wide receiver every year. And this, I I agree with the philosophy that they have whereby. We'd rather pay tight ends than wide receivers because the value is better. Mm-hmm. We'd rather rather pay safeties than um, we'd rather pay safeties because again the values there just now. That's great. You just have to balance that when making sure that you get the the cheap production through the draft to to yeah. kind of have that and just hit on a wide receiver every three years as a second or third round pick, and you're going to be okay. You're going to have enough at the wide receiver position to be okay without needing to go and spend that wide receiver one money. Right. No, completely agree. So uh, probability that Roman is back for the 2023 Ravens, in your opinion? Uh, 5%. That's where I would put it, too. Yeah. That's that's right on the money. I think it, it, the decision in a lot of ways has been made. It may, in fact, be somewhat unfair to Roman in terms of what's happened this year. Roman had a historic offense in 2019. In 2022, the personnel has fallen apart. You're saying you can't give it to Martin. Well, hey, Roman has got it, and he's getting a little something out of the run game, which is nice. But I think that the, the larger issue for me is that the team seems to have completely mutinied. And this was the case in 2007 with – after 2007 with Billick, is the team just got away from him in the locker room. And I, I don't know that Billick really had to go at that point. I think he was a you know very good coach. But changing to Harbaugh did bring something fresh to the organization, and they and – they, uh, you know, had five great years to to start it off, and uh, it wasn't all Harbaugh, but but you know, you, Harbaugh deserves his set of credit for bringing in a new culture, and hopefully, a new offensive coordinator would do that, whether it's Martin or somebody else from the more general population they pick. Yeah, and I hope, I hope most Ravens fans, when the dust settles, I understand. You know, the word "fan" comes from "fanatic," so everyone's very very passionate about their feelings and you know right now greg roman's public enemy number one i would hope that when the dust settles and there's a little bit of time uh to go that people appreciate just how good an offensive coordinator he was in the grand scheme of things like i mean you you and me have been watching this team for 20 plus years yes. the entire time i remember the matt cavanaugh days i remember yep. that there, there were some bad bad at least at least this is a fun creative running game yeah i mean if, if you go back over the years they're really the only guys who were in the same league as Roman among or even his offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. There's a litany of Hall of Fame defensive coordinators. They always had a great one. But you have to go back to the very first three years of the Ravens and Don Strock, what he did as an offensive coordinator, uh, you know, along with Marcia Broda, very offensive minded coach. And you know, that team outperformed certainly what they what they had. Um, and and then you know, the year of Kubiak was a very positive one in 14, much better year for Flacco than the years that surrounded it. Um, I, I don't give Caldwell a bunch of the credit for suddenly turning Joe Flacco around because in 2013 Flacco had the worst year of his career. So I, I, I you know, I can't, can't give a lot. So if you get right down to it, Roman is first, second or third among the Ravens all time offensive coordinators. And yes, he will be replaced next year. Yes. Somebody else will, will be in there doing it. But geez, if you forget what happened in 2019, again, in 2020, in terms of what's what happened with the the Romans with Roman before all the injuries started to hit, terrible twenty one, but a terrible second half of twenty as well with Boyle and Stanley hurt. Uh, boy, I mean that would really be a darn shame. Yeah, twenty nineteen as well. Like it, it didn't end in a Super Bowl and it ended in mm-hmm. you know a loss in the very first game, but they broke the record for the most rushing yards in a season by yep. a team in the NFL. 
Lamar Jackson breaks the record for most rushing yards by a quarterback in a single season. Mm-hmm. And they led the NFL in passing touchdowns. Yeah. It, it, there's a pretty strong case that it's the most efficient offensive performance over a regular season in NFL of all time. Yeah. 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 Just and an I, incredible season. Yeah. It's especially efficiency relative to cap. If is which is what, oh, yeah. what you're probably talking yeah, yeah. about here, but but it's it was 3.08 points per drive, which is fifth all time. You know, start giving the man his credit here, and it's 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 a lot of men who obviously contribute to that. It's Yonda, it's a healthy younger Stanley, it's all the all the other things that were that were true about that team at the time, Orlando Brown and whatnot. But it, that was one hell of a great team, and Roman did not fumble the football on managing that offense at all, and it. Everything has been relative to that incredible bar. Like if you if you really did not expect regression from Lamar Jackson after 2019, listen to any of my podcasts on the topic. I you know I said there's there is zero percent chance he, he ever has as good a season again. He could be he could be a better player, but he'll never has a, have as good a season again in terms of of the outcome. Uh, anyway, frustrating as hell. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's talk a little bit more about this game. I guess there's one other topic in here. What, what about Anthony Brown at this point? I mean, this is obviously a, an awful game from Huntley. Brown didn't look particularly poised in the pocket in his brief time, but he threw one pass to the outside for three yards. A lot of people are latching onto from, from the goal line. And he also, uh, you know, stood in there and took a sack that he probably shouldn't have. Uh, what's your feeling if, if how badly would Huntley have to play to be replaced for Brown for some of the remainder of this season? Uh, I think it would have to be really bad. Um, I just, Anthony Brown's an undrafted free agent this year. It, it feels like your likelihood of even, even better, even better than Huntley's worst game. And arguably Sunday was the worst game he's played in the kind of short stint he's had with the Ravens. It feels pretty unlikely to me that Anthony Brown's going to clear that bar. At this point, like I think if he gets another preseason, you know, maybe he's a long term backup option. I just I wouldn't I wouldn't feel great about making that switch. Year four next year for Huntley, year two for Brown. Uh, probability Brown ends up being the number two QB next year. Probably 35 to 50 percent, somewhere in that range. OK, that seems reasonable. Always worth getting a reset when you can. Uh, for for a younger quarterback, he he does bring a lot of the things. Definitely has a bigger arm, a bigger, more accurate arm, as we saw in the preseason. So I would agree with that. Uh, let's uh, let's move on a little bit. Uh, third down, obviously, was was a, a they were, Ravens weren't terrible there. They were five of twelve. Uh, I, I don't think that includes the penalty that that got them. I always forget how the NFL does it, but I think it doesn't include the penalty uh, that they got on the very first drive where they were backed up on third and nine. Um, the Browns are only five of 15, but then of course, fourth down reversed all that. And the Ravens went, you know, zero for two and, and the Browns went three for three to really go eight of 15 for the game. Uh, they certainly, they won the yards per play again at 5.3 to 4.4, but they again failed to finish drives in the red zone. What is going to help the Ravens get back to some level of red zone success? Uh, number one, Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't have Lamar Jackson, you're probably just relying on getting a little bit luckier than you are just now. Like I think the fourth and one play call wasn't terrible. You know, it's just sometimes the other guys play as well and, you know, they, they make a play. Um, even the interception by Huntley, 
it was one of those kind of like bang bang plays. The ball's it's it's not it's not that far away. It's not a throw you should make, but you know, if finishing drives means getting in the end zone for touchdowns, running the ball doesn't guarantee that when you get close mm-hmm. because everything gets more congested down there. And you know, those runs that go beyond four or five yards are harder to come by because everyone's closer in. You know, it kind of goes against the analytics nature of me, but with the way the Ravens are set up just now, in so, like against the Atlantic coming up this week, for example, I don't know that there's a need to go for it in fourth and one. I, I think right. you realistically could win this game with 15 to 18 points. And that's, it's probably something whereby I would, I would have probably looked at that a little bit differently in the Browns game in that I think they probably could have kicked the field goal in that fourth down. I don't love it because I think you should always try and be aggressive and I get why they did it. It's the type of game whereby it, the way this defense is playing just now, until that Bengals game, I think there's a pretty good chance they can win, you know, with a touchdown and three field goals. goals. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, first of all, I would, I would, I would generally speaking, agree with what you just said. I, I do want to say this, that we've, we we talked a little bit about this show is, is what's the risk relative to the reward. And the, the, the key point I always come back to is the the clearly superior team should never allow the game to be decided by fewer total plays if they can avoid it. Okay. So you're head nodding. So you, so you agree. So you don't want to, you know, create, take a bunch of 15 to 25 point swings and win probability on going forward on a fourth and two or a fourth and three, say, uh, oftentimes in your own territory, unless you're, you're not as good a team, then you need to scrape for every bit of win probability you can get. You need to be aggressive. You need to do it. And we actually seen the Ravens over the years be much more in that. The 2015 Ravens, who were terrible, were one of the really aggressive teams on fourth down that that Harbaugh has ever had. And I'm just uh, I, I'm a fan of doing it selectively in this. And I think the, the the gain from that fourth and one made it such that it was a pretty big win probability gain, but it was also I think an overstated win probability gain because I don't I think they were based on probably on Lamar numbers and and yeah. not Huntley. And so. I come back to it and I say, I, I really don't love it or hate it either way. It's the kind of decision that that is really fairly small, but they weren't the better team than Cleveland. They, they just weren't uh, on, on Saturday. And I'm not talking about like they'd run the football effectively. They got the ball down the field and they were going to have their way with them the rest of the game. They thought that probably, but I just, you know, they were, they were an underdog for a good reason in that game. And they, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't, it, 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 it did not call for complete conservatism on that fourth and one otherwise. So I didn't really love it either way. I just didn't have a strong feeling about that fourth and one in either yeah. direction. And I would also say, once you get to the goal line, so if it's fourth and one on the goal line, mm-hmm. go for it then. Just run the ball. Don't pass it and risk a sack or anything. But yep. if you go for it on a quarterback sneak on the goal line, even if there's a fumble, it's likely that it's been recovered, you know, probably around that one yard line anyway, unless it's going into the end zone. Give them the ball and ask them to drive 99 yards is, you know, it's pretty pretty difficult for them to do and also at the fl- I think this is the part that I think people don't understand about those if you can give your opponent a 99 yard drive the likelihood is you're getting the ball back probably pretty close to midfield if not in plus territory mm-hmm. the next time you start a drive so in going for that even if the worst case scenario happens there's a pretty good likelihood that you're going to start your next drive with a strong chance that you're at least getting a field goal opportunity yeah, if you if you look back at older books that that you might be familiar with, might not be the hidden game of football, excellent book. We'll talk about you know there's actually a negative 
point expectation for the team that that possesses the ball at their own one yard line. So it's a it's a big thing to get out of trouble. Then we look back to the Mile High Miracle game. You remember the, the the one of the really big plays in that game was that third and thirteen that Flacco completed a pitta in overtime. They didn't they didn't get a, they didn't complete that drive for the winning score or anything, but they got out of their own goal line. Uh, got off their own goal line with a with a big play to uh, uh, to get a chance to punt from further back, and they punted it all the way down to the five yard line where Jimmy Smith covered it up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Huntley and Brown. One of the things that was that was a little bit bothersome to me was just how effective the Browns four man rush was, and you kind of expect that when both Clowney and Garrett are out there. Uh, they had they had success pretty much the whole game rushing a passer in, in with four. That was frustrating. Gordon, you and I have been watching football both long enough and analyzed it that, you know, with rushing the passer effectively with four men is about the biggest certainty of defensive success. Yeah. And especially in a game against a backup quarterback, right? Because against a backup quarterback, the, the margin of error is so small that if they're able to have seven guys back there in zones or in, you know, covering various spots, and you can get there, you know, within two and a half, three seconds. It's, it's a very tough ask for the offense to move the ball efficiently at that point. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm going to give you a few statistics here. And this is how I score it. This doesn't come from PFF scoring, but they had nine ample time and space opportunities. Those were pockets that would have lasted for three seconds or did. 27%, five of the seven were completed. 43 net yards, so under five yards per pass when he had ample time and space and he took two sacks and threw and I'm and, uh, sorry. One of the plays was that was a pass that was then fumbled as well. So uh, the way the football was being bobbled around by the Ravens in this game, obviously if it didn't have people screaming at the TV set, it should have. Yeah. It's just, and there was the Robinson one early in the game. And yep. then to have that happen again later in the game was just, and that was, that was a nice play to start that drive. If they if they avoid the fumble there, there's every chance that, that drive is, you know, a, a field goal opportunity at worst for them. So that arguably that was the real killer of that play. Yeah, and and that definitely was a case where a first down run for seven yards would have been a better result than a. Than a but, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, we 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 revised history. Um, it was interesting because the, the 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 big minus seven fumble is a horrible off schedule play. It's exactly the kind of thing this Ravens offense can't take. Can't take penalties. There's no margin for error. Can't take sacks. There's no margin for error. Um, very frustrating. Huntley held onto the football twice on plays that ended up being sacks where he's running towards the sideline and has a chance to throw it away. Yeah. I, I, you're right. You just, you can't, especially when the margin for error for this offense is so small, you just, you can't have those plays. Yeah. Uh, 12 times the ball was out quickly in this game, 36%. Not bad at all. Uh, he went six of 12 on those passes. Now that's really bad, but when the ball's out quickly, it means pressure by definition has not yet developed as I, as I score it. And those tend to be a very high percentage completion, short little screen passes, you know, flares, a lot of slants and stuff. like. I mean, it should be a very high percentage of completions. Often if it's, if it's Tom Brady, you probably see 10 of those 12 completed or more. Um, anyway, he went six of 12 in those plays for 67 yards, 5.8 yards per play and an interception. So <laughs> he had that as well. So, uh, just a horrible set of plays there. And then he was pressured 12 times and they completed five of 11 of those for 16 net yards, 1.3 yards per play and one sack. So there's no way to slice down Huntley's record from this game that really ended up looking good. 
No. And even if you look at um, like location down the field, I think there was only one completion that was 10 plus yards downfield. I think that was the one to Mark Andrews at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they just, it's very tough to win in the NFL when you're not completing many passes beyond 10 yards in a game. And that does that that really truncates your your set of opportunities very significantly. Uh we mentioned that the Browns went after Huntley pretty much with with four, but they had a few fives and sixes. I'll give you the the, the stats by numbers really quickly here. Let me make sure I get my pad. Oh, where'd I put that? There we go. The fact that I've got this on a pad and not a spreadsheet is is not particularly impressive. But they they did 26 four-man rushes. The Ravens got 5.0 yards per play. That did include two turnovers and two sacks in there. Uh, they had five five-man rushes. Those went for minus eight total yards, so minus 1.6 yards per play. They got a sack in there, uh, and a fumble. the fumble for minus seven was in there. And then they had one – sorry, two six-man rushes, one five, one incomplete. So uh, those weren't good either. And uh, you know, not a good day in terms of however they were rushing or however long it took Huntley to get the ball out. The thing I keep coming back to with with Huntley is pocket awareness. We talk about similarities to Lamar, but that's probably the biggest difference of a lot of big differences is he's just not very aware in the pocket, not really aware of time, not really good at managing that time and moving around to reads and not really good at knowing when he has to get away and and leave. Yeah. And there was at least least a couple of sacks in this game that like that was my immediate thought. Like Mm -hmm. I I hate yelling at players during games, but you're just like, just, there just watch just feel feel that and look that's he's a backup quarterback for a reason like if if you said that tyler huntley was the 40th to 50th best quarterback in the nfl on this week you know probably didn't quite reach that bar but that's probably fair and that's you know that's pretty average for the nfl backup quarterback it's just Mm -hmm. you know and that's what happens when you you don't have you don't have that same pocket awareness. You don't have quite the same burst and all those things that Lamar has. I mean, a game like this does bring everyone down. Anytime the Ravens win a game without Lamar Jackson, people ask like, oh, you know, maybe the Ravens should trade Lamar and start Tyler Huntley. No. This is this is why that's a stupid idea. If the, if the Ravens game plan is, you know, involves trading away Lamar Jackson because he can't agree a deal, I hope to God that game plan involves a first round pick at right. quarterback <laughs> rather than uh rather than going with Tyler Huntley right it, it would have to and unfortunately I think there's not a zero percent chance of that happening there's that's a that's a real probability but uh, you know Huntley you mentioned the lack of burst but um you you you've got to be just aware of how valuable Lamar's ability to read opponent leverage is when he's on the move it's it's otherworldly and you see Huntley in particular in the Pittsburgh game he had a run on the right sideline with only one man to beat. Not, not the right sideline, right numbers, I'll call it, where he had one man to beat in the open field. And it might have been Minka, but it might have been another safety. And he ended up running directly into the guy. <laughs> it's just, a, just, how can that happen? You know, you know, this, I, we don't expect you to be, you know, Barry Sanders or Lamar Jackson in terms of being able to slip that guy, but there's got to be some attempt to make a move on him. Yeah. Or, or, or you slide and don't take that hit, but, but one or the other. Uh, so, yeah, Lamar understands angles and I, I think this is something that I, I don't think he gets enough credit for I think people often boil it down to pure um, pure athleticism I, I think Lamar Jackson understands angles in the running game from his perspective with the ball in his hands far better than people give him credit for there's, there's so many plays where he just it's the extra three or four yards he finds just by taking a slightly different angle just to just to get there. And I think he also avoids a good few hits doing that as well. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I, I don't, I disagree. Sorry, I, I very much agree with what you just said. But I, I think there's another level to it is that Lamar reads opposing leverage as well as almost any athlete of all time. So if you go back to Muhammad Ali and watch him box during the 1960s and no one can hit him, Sonny Liston, if you, if you, if you ever had the chance to watch that fight, you know, he, he just, it's, it's, he knows what punch is coming, you know, and, and just cannot be hit. Uh, in, in, with Lamar, there's a similar nature to that. He knows exactly how to not only, um, you know, make that player make the first mistake, make a half step to make that player make the first mistake, but also read exactly when he's completely committed himself to it and make the guy miss. And that's when, you know, you have all these ankle breaking plays that get the announcer screaming, you know, is, is uh, uh, really cool. But Huntley took seven big hits in that Pittsburgh game. And to me, you can't have that. I mean, obviously we can't have that on a week to week basis. Very lucky that he cleared the concussion protocol and was back to play, but uh, you know, you, you lose your second string quarterback very easily if, if he had. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the running backs in this game. The, the, the division snap division was kind of interesting in this game because Edwards was in for 11 plays and ran it on seven of his 11 plays, very much designated runner kind of situation. Dobbins was in for 24 plays and he had a touch on 14 of those snaps. So one reception and 13, 13 carries. So again, pretty much the designated toucher uh, at that place as you'd expect the running back to be for the Ravens under the current situation. Hill was in for 24 plays and he got one carry for three. And I'm trying to remember if he had a reception, but basically he was a passing down back, which, and maybe you have it in front of you. I'm going to look at it real quick just to see what he did. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, are, is there a tell involved? I, I wonder how much of that. So I'm just looking at um, the snap breakdown. So he was in for, he was a receiver on 16 of those snaps. He only mm-hmm. stayed in the pass block on five. Um, now, I think that probably, that 16 probably includes chip and goals as well. I'm not 100% yeah. certain of that. Um, my, my read on that would probably be similar to my read on uh, Dobbins not having the speed to finish that long run is he's just he's probably just not there yet in terms of being able to be on the field for you know 40 snaps that would have required if you brought down Justice Hill to a, a single digit um, number there and I think it, you know the viewpoint there is okay Justice Hill is going to be better in the passing game than Gus Edwards is so um, I, I would imagine it's probably just down to Dobbins just not being all the way back yet Right. So they actually deactivated Drake this week, which was, you know, interesting. He'd played well enough for the Ravens, not not been real explosive. But the nice thing about Drake is he's done very well on the schemed runs this year. Yeah. There's been there's been a few runs that he's had this year whereby everything's just gone perfectly on it. And he's just he's in the right place there. I think he he knows how to read those things pretty well. Um the tough thing for him, I think you could make the case that I think the reason why he gets deactivated is obviously just as hell as other things he does. Um, Gus Edwards, the power back that runs forward, but Dobbins is that read and react and, you know, make someone miss and, and keep going thing. And with him active, it's a little bit tougher, you know, trying to field the, um, you know, players on game day and and, and fit Drake in there. But I, I think he'll get games the rest of the season as well. I think he'll still play some. Okay. So you saw some good huts, cuts, some good cuts from, Dobbins in this game and you've seen what what Drake has done on the season so far who do you think could have made more yards out of the opportunities given by the offensive line in this game uh JK Dobbins as a rookie <laughs> yes 
I'll agree with that. <laughs> but you don't have those. You have you have the current Dobbins, you have the current Drake. Uh I think probably current Dobbins. I, I think okay. his his work in close quarters, even when things are blocked up well, I think is a little bit stronger than Drake's. Mm-hmm. That being said, the long run, I think Drake probably finishes that for a touchdown. Two of them, maybe even. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, I would agree on that. I think this was a case where you know, there were some long opportunities, but there's also Dobbins had to get into the le- into the second level, and that involves some good cutting uh, to make those initial breaks. So maybe about a wash in terms of what I what what I've seen in this game. And I wonder, I, I wonder if they will activate Drake again. You seem to think so. He's he's had other games inactive this year, at least one. So uh, seems like a possibility. Uh, let's see what else we got to talk about. So lots of counters, lots of pulling left to right, right to left, in particular uh, right hand, sorry, left-handed run game. Uh, this time with a lot of center and right tackle pulls to the left. Huge game for Morgan Moses. We're going to get into in terms of his. That was about the most abusive run blocking performance you'll ever see from a tackle. Yeah, there there was a. I remember watching it, and there was like just a play where he coming a pull and had a monster block. And I think as well, it's interesting. Compare that to the Steelers game. And I think as well as they ran the ball in that game, I don't think he was that good in that game. So uh, it was definitely interesting to see him uh, have as dominant a game in the run as he did. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how, how you guys at PFF are looking at this, but I'd like to hear the Ravens are running the heaviest formations in decades in the NFL. Do you, do you guys have some way you're looking at that? Uh, it, 2.35 heavies per play in this game, meaning some of fullbacks, tight ends, and sixth offensive linemen, which were zero. But the, the, you know, the sum of the fullbacks and the tight ends, no NFL team has been as high as two over the last six years. And the, and the, the 19, sorry, the 2019 Vikings were at 199 or thereabouts. Uh, how are you guys looking at it in terms of of uh, what they're even do scheme wise? Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen anything specific. It's definitely something that um, we can pull up, but. You can, you know, you don't even need to look at the numbers to tell. You can just, I do wonder as well, like how much of that is down to those issues they've had with, you know, Rashad Bateman goes out and all those things, you know, they've kind of been forced to have to need a heavier, a heavier approach um, on offense. Yeah. They've, they've avoided 11 though, very frequently. It's not just a matter of having tight ends in the game, replacing wide receivers where there's some of that. But but they've they've avoided eleven this year like nobody's business. They 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 play a very low percentage of eleven personnel. Uh, and admittedly, you know you you don't their their typical game script is not going to call for a lot of eleven based on the personnel they have. But you still get into games where you trail and you should end up seeing a fair amount of eleven. In this game, they trailed most of the way, or they trailed for a lot of it anyway. And you're still seeing them at two point thirty five heavies per play. Um, if you have two heavies and you have a running back you already don't have two, more than two wide receivers. So what this tells me is the average 1.65 wide receivers per play, which is, that's unbelievably low for yeah. the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's tough to find big plays in the passing game when, you know, when that's the case. I, again, think it is probably tied to, the, you know, they, they are very, very weak at wide receiver just now. So it kind of forces you into those things. But even then it's, you know, it's tough to move the ball through the air. All right. Uh, I have it as 15 set blocks and 13 chip blocks in the game, 0.85 per play. The only point I'd like to make on this is they, they obviously, you know, chipping Garrett, chipping Clowney when he was in the game makes a lot of sense to me when they're bringing a four-man pass rush. You need to t- try and tire those guys out, but it also does take a lot of juice out of your passing game 
to have a guy chip. There's then a very limited set of routes they can run to add to the very limited set of routes and time they have to throw the football anyway. And what it ended up being is the Ravens ran a lot of a lot of three man routes in this game, a disproportionate number, you know, than, than usual. Yeah, and and to that again, again, go to the personnel. Like all all those things add up. If you don't have the personnel who can consistently get open, mm-hmm. if you don't have a scheme that's particularly diverse, and you're having to chip and that restricts you even further, it's just another thing that slowly chips it. You know, there's three or four different things that just chip away at their ability to be efficient in the passing game. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Gordon, just a pleasure talking football with you. We're going to come back for part two. Uh, take a take a moment or two, but tell folks again, uh, at least where your Twitter handle is. I think you covered your other material earlier. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at PFF underscore Gordon. All right, outstanding. I've always found Gordon to be extremely responsive. All the PFF people are great about responding to questions and whatnot. It's kind of their job, I, I, I guess. And you're you were the head of of not just content, but you were the head of social media for, for a brief time. Yeah, yeah, I was head of social media for. I've kind of done it a couple of times, um, and then just recently moved into head of content overall. So, the the you know you, you guys try as a group to respond to fans as they're asking questions, including methodology questions or even questions about how specific plays are graded occasionally. Yeah, we certainly try to. There's obviously there's times whereby there's certain things that you can't necessarily get into if it's, you know, if it is anything that's proprietary or something like that. But generally speaking, try and be pretty open with the process and, and all those things. All right. I always had all kinds of fun talking to the PFF people over the years. Uh, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter, uh, 20 to 25 minute topic, something we can discuss. You need to be passionate about it. If you have analytics, that's great. It does not require that. Uh, think of me as a sports talk show host you can talk to for about that amount of time and we'll do it we'll do a show and uh have fun have fun talking about it uh gordon thanks again for coming on thank you very much and we'll talk to you next time on film study Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.